This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Healthcare costs in the United States continue to be astronomical. We spend twice as much as similar countries on healthcare with no difference in quality or outcomes. In an effort to address the issue here in Washington, the Economic Opportunity Institute is endorsing a slate of bills in this year's legislative session, taking aim at things like mergers, prescription drug costs, and protections for our frontline healthcare workers. Sam Hatzenbuehler leads healthcare policy for the Economic Opportunity Institute, and she joins us now to talk about this legislation and about how you can support it. Hey, Sam, how are you? Hey, good. Thanks for having me, Stefan. Really great to be here. Well, we're really glad that you're here. We know that this is something that affects virtually everybody, high healthcare costs. But let's just talk about Washington specifically to begin with. What are some of the ways you can tell us that this issue is impacting us here in the state specifically? Yeah, basically, we are in a healthcare affordability crisis. 400,000 people in our state currently are being chased down by medical debt collectors. And we know that... While people might have insurance, um, underinsurance is a critical problem as well. Underinsurance is when you have health insurance, but you can't afford to use it because of really exorbitant um, deductibles, co-insurance, co-payments, things like that. Um, we surveyed people here in the state last summer by partnering with the Altarum Institute, and we found some really disturbing um, results from that survey. We found that 62% of people that we surveyed really had struggled to afford um, care, basic care in the past 12 months. And over half of people actually went without basic necessities like paying for you know food, housing, um, utilities, things like this to be able to afford care, or they just went without care um, in general because they couldn't afford the high cost. Yeah, it's distressing. Uh, It's incredibly distressing. And, you know, the same survey that you're referencing uh, said that 81% of state residents report being worried about even being able to afford health care. So this obviously is an issue that everybody here in the state is concerned about. So, you know, as I mentioned, your organization, the Economic Opportunity Institute, is endorsing this slate of bills to address these problems. I want to start with the bill uh, that Indivisible is also prioritizing. This is the Keep Our Care Act. This is Senate Bill 5241. So this is aimed at preventing anti-competitive mergers We have, of course, heard a lot about these mergers. We know that a number of these faith-based hospital mergers have impacted access to things like reproductive health care, end-of-life care, gender-affirming care. But I would love for you to talk about how these mergers can also lead to higher prices for patients. Yeah, absolutely. In addition to diminishing access to care, like you mentioned, we are um, seeing that consolidations can really drive up prices even by up to 20%. Um, and this can happen overnight where we, we're not seeing improved outcomes for patients in terms of health. We're not seeing improvements in quality. It's really just as, you know, large wealthy health systems like Providence, um, are able to buy up more and more of the market, they are able to really set prices at whatever the market will bear. Um, For example, Providence, um, they have $10 billion in um, reserves. They're a nonprofit, so those are untaxed reserves, and their CEO makes $10 million a year. So we're really kind of up against these really um, giant conglomerates that are controlling our healthcare system and making it harder for patients to access a quality and affordable care. 
$10 billion in reserve and nonprofit status. That's news to me. I, I was not aware of that. And I suspect that'll be news to people listening, uh, to some people listening as well. You know, you've also said that these mergers can stand in the way of our ability to get to a single payer system in this state. I know that this is enormously important to probably most people watching this broadcast and listening. Can you just talk about how? Yeah, basically, our healthcare system is kind of based on a business model that really makes the makes healthcare, which is a human right, as we know, it makes it into something that is basically available to the highest bidder. Um, and as long as this is allowed to continue, we're not going to be able to get to a place where we're based on um, healthcare as a as a public good, as a public utility that really is available to everyone. Um, you know, and we know it's bad. For for patients, it's bad for workers because as healthcare systems become more and more like acting like monopolies, um, workers have diminished ability to negotiate fair um, and safe working conditions, which I know we'll we'll get to. Um, but really, regulating um, health systems is a critical step on the way to achieving single payer. Yeah, we definitely want to talk about uh, protections for frontline healthcare workers. But, you know, since you're talking about uh, these mergers, something that is, uh, you know, related to this is a bill that would address contracting by these very healthcare systems. This is 5393 Promote Fair Contracting Practices is the name of the bill. So this would stop unfair negotiating tactics. Um, I wonder if you could just shed a little light here and talk about how these entities employ these tactics and, and also how this drives up costs. Absolutely. Yeah. So while the Keep Our Care Act bill would help address preventing consolidations from happening that d would diminish access to care or affordable care, um, 5393 is a bill that would kind of help address consolidations that are already in place that are really contributing to high prices. Um, one example that I'll give of an unfair negotiating tactic is um, the Everett Clinic, which really dominates the Snohomish County area. Um, a few years ago, they bought up a small family physician clinic in Bellevue. And overnight, they raised prices by 50%. Wow. And this is without improving the facility, without improving quality care. Um, and the um, Premira, which was the insurance company that was negotiating with them, um, really their hands were tied. They were at the mercy of the Everett Clinic, which by the way, is owned by Optum, which in turn is owned by United Health Group. So as we go up the ladder, we see fewer and fewer companies are owning more and more of the market. And um, United Health Group, by the way, brought in $28 billion in profits last year. So we are looking at how these big systems are really starting to dominate and really kind of um, have the upper hand in an unfair way when negotiating with insurance companies. Um, and this bill would help prevent things like that so that um, you know, we see a lot of a lot of regulations on insurance companies thanks to the Affordable Care Act, but uh, there really is little to no regulation on what providers can charge. Yeah, I would just mention for folks, there is an executive hearing uh, tomorrow on the 16th at 1030 a.m. If that is something that people are interested in monitoring. Another bill that you're supporting is uh, House Bill 1508. This would create improvements to something called the Healthcare Cost Transparency Board. This may be uh, new to people who don't necessarily really follow, uh, you know, healthcare legislation here in the state. So I'll just ask you, what is the Healthcare Cost Transparency Board and what does it do? 
Yeah, great question. It's a great entity that was uh, created by the legislature in 2020, and it's basically tasked with improving transparency in our healthcare system in our state and um, really collecting data and trying to control healthcare costs. Um, they are charged with setting a healthcare spending benchmark, which is basically at about 3% a year. That's what providers are sort of guided to not exceed in their spending growth each year. Um, but why we need this bill is because this board, while it's off to a good start, it basically doesn't have any authority other than this suggestion of what providers should, should charge um, or in terms of their spending growth. We really need them to have enforcement power, right, in order to say, hey, large, you know, systems who are um, very high priced and we're seeing them charge more and more and more year over year over year. We want to be able to, to have the board set performance improvement plans and um, set penalties if these providers are continuing to exceed the growth benchmark. Good. So it gives the board some teeth. Uh, related to this is another board. Uh, this is 1269. This would work to make prescription drugs more affordable by strengthening the prescription drug affordability board. Uh, this was an entity, my, I understand, was created last session. Um, it's also my understanding that, surprise, surprise, uh, pressure from the pharmaceutical industry weakened this board. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we started off last year with a really strong bill, but, um, you know, pharmaceutical industry lobbyists really watered it down to the point of it being, it's a, it's a great step and it's really, it's getting started, but without, um, the, the kind of stronger elements of the bill, it really um, isn't able to really drive down prices of, of pharmaceutical products and drugs. So um, we're back this year. We really want to make sure that the, um, the bill can um, expand the number of drugs that are available to be um, reviewed for excessive price increases. It would also um, move up the, the timeline for when the board can institute some upper payment limits. Um, we basically just can't keep allowing drug companies to raise their prices ever higher without any accountability. Here, here. And then finally, we have another bill that Indivisible is also prioritizing, and we referenced this earlier. This is the Support Frontline Healthcare Workers or Washington Safe and Healthy. This is Senate Bill 5236. So this is an issue that we've tracked uh, for some time here on the show. And, you know, we know that way too often hospitals will try to balance their budgets on the backs of, of you know, their most vital workers. So I'll just ask you to, uh, to editorialize just a little bit for us. Talk about the importance, really, of paying these workers what they're worth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was on a, a panel recently with the president of the board of the Washington State Nurses Association, and she said, you know, people talk about um, our healthcare workers as heroes, but they they don't want to be heroes. They want to be par paid a fair wage. They want to be protected and safe at work. They want to be able to provide safe patient care and why they went into this profession in the first place, right? But we're hearing so many very disturbing stories of nurses just experiencing what they're calling moral injury of not feeling safe to provide care to patients because they are tasked with caring for such high patient loads. And this is bad for workers, bad for their mental health. Um, and it's obviously, of course, bad for patients and causes unnecessary um, medical errors and risks. And um, it's bad for our healthcare system.
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's something that everybody should care about. Whichever side of the issue you're on, you may wind up in a bed uh, at some point uh, in a facility that needs well-paid, well-rested workers. Uh, it, it, it seems uh, to be quite uncontroversial <laughs> to this host. Um, so tell us what uh, the Washington Safe and Healthy Bill would do. Yeah, basically, it would um, it would establish minimum staffing standards um, so that you know patients are uh, or that nurses don't have too high patient loads and they can care effectively for their patients. Um, and it would also make sure that um, rest and meal breaks and overtime provisions are really being enforced to support our workers. Um, and this, by the way, this bill is really important to addressing our. Um, our workforce shortage, our workforce problem that really predated the pandemic, but of course was made very much worse by the pandemic these past few years. And then finally, there are two other issues that you are supporting that will be potentially passed through this year's budget. Can you briefly tell us about both of those? Yeah, um, one of them is um, making sure that Cascade Care premium subsidies are included in the budget. Um, Cascade Care, for those who haven't heard of it, is um, a program that was created a few years ago. Um, part of it is to establish subsidies for um, lower, lower income people under 250% of the federal poverty level. Um, and so last year, uh, and these, by the way, are, are plans that are available on our state's marketplace through the Health Benefit Exchange. Change. And um, we want to make sure that these subsidies are really being um, adequately funded in our budget um, every year so that we don't need to keep coming back and back and back asking for them to be covered. We know this is really, really critical for lower income people who um, make too much to qualify for our Medicaid, but don't make enough to be able to actually afford plans on um, the health benefit exchange. So that's really important. We're asking for 50 million this year um, in addition to um, with an addition to uh, 10 million for making sure that these subsidies are available to undocumented immigrants who are newly eligible for these subsidies. The second piece that we're asking for, which is um, to support the immigrant healthcare expansion programs that are newly um, newly available. One, they, these are based on two important wins from last session. One was that um, our state um, created a new Medicaid lookalike program. As we know, undocumented people are 11 times more likely to lack health insurance than uh, citizens. So, um, but because of federal restrictions, um, undocumented people cannot access Medicaid that's uh, available to people um, who are very low income. So we created a state uh, lookalike program fully funded by the state so that undocumented people can get this really important um, Medicaid lookalike program. We want to make sure this is fully funded in the budget so that it's up and running by January 1st of 2024. Um, the second piece of that is... Um, we won permission for agencies in our state to apply to the federal government to ask um, for it's called a 1332 waiver. And basically, um, we asked for permission to allow undocumented people to buy health coverage on our state marketplace. And in November, Washington became the first state in the uh, country to get this federal permission. Um, so part of what we're asking this year for, for the budget is um, to include $3 million for outreach and enrollment money to make sure that this program can really um, get moving. So um, those are really two critical pieces to um, addressing disparities um, for immigrants in our state.
So just extraordinarily groundbreaking, I think, there and something that advocates would really want to keep an eye on. And actually, um, I lied. I said that we were going to only cover a couple more issues in the budget, but I did have one more thing that I wanted to ask you about, and that is the Fair uh, Health Prices Initiative. Um, this is something that I don't think a lot of people have heard much about, and it similarly is groundbreaking. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, thanks for asking. So, um, you know, we took stock last year after last session and we really saw, you know, we go back every year asking for more subsidies for health insurance. And these are really important to making sure that low and middle income people can gain access to affordable coverage. But we cannot keep going back every year if we're not addressing the root cause, which is what providers are charging, the prices they're charging. We need more regulation to address this. So patient advocates, and this is really groundbreaking, patient advocates joined with labor unions and business to come together in a new effort this year, Fair Health Prices Campaign, to really work together to target these high prices and improve regulation in our system. Where can people learn more about that? They can go to our website at fairhealthprices.org. You know, we've covered a lot of ground uh, here, and I, I would just ask you, what would you like to see generally people do? Because we're coming right up on the, the February 17th cutoff date. So what would you like to see people doing in support of these bills? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the good news is a lot of these bills are up for a vote in their respective committees um, by Friday, as you said, which is the policy cutoff. Um, so it's always a great idea to message your legislators to ask them to vote these out of committee. Um, and if people want to get more involved or, or find action alerts, I always welcome them to come to our website, opportunityinstitute.org, and you can sign up for action alerts and we will help you craft messaging and send uh, send messages to your legislators and when we have hearings to sign in pro for bills when they are up for a public hearing. Sam Hudson-Bieler, thank you so much. This has been uh, extraordinary, extraordinarily enlightening. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And as I mentioned, Indivisible is supporting a number of healthcare bills this session as well. So here to talk about just a couple more important ones is our executive producer and our dear friend, Kat Pipkin. Hey, Kat. Hello. So the first one that I want to discuss was 5179. This is the expanded Death with Dignity Act. So back in 2008, voters approved the Physician Assisted Death Initiative. And this is a new bill that would expand on that. What can you tell us about it? Let me just preface by saying, by acknowledging that people have deeply held beliefs on both sides of this issue. And it's, it's, it's an important issue. We're talking about death decisions, end of life decisions. And rather than the state stepping in and making the judgment on this, this did go to the voters and voters in Washington state made a judgment. The judgment is that people who are terminally ill, uh, can be aided in dying. They are already dying. These are people who are dying. This isn't assisted suicide. Um, so it, it's, it's important to understand that if, if I become unhappy, I can't just go do an end of life program, right? You need to be a person who's already dying. So th this bill um, expands the types of providers so that we have enough people who can help. It also help, helps get the drugs to assist the, with the end of life with with the death uh into their hands as appropriate it 
it basically, you know, it's like we're making sausage all the time, right? And you pass a law, you see how it works out, you see some refinements that you need to make to to um, comply with the intent of the law, with the intent of what voters passed. And that's what this does. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. I mean, as you say, this is uh, an issue that I think people have obviously very deeply held beliefs on. And so it would be very good to have that uh, codified uh, through the legislature. Uh, another bill that we're tracking is 1469 or the shield law. Now this would protect those who provide abortion or gender affirming care here in the state. Uh, this is quite timely, quite important. So just uh, specifically tell us what would this bill stipulate? Yeah. So as its name implies, we are shielding both patients and providers and enabling people to both access the care that they're legally entitled to and providers, uh, shielding providers who are providing care that people are legally. So both of these bills that we're talking about really have to do with providing people access to care that, that they have the right to get. So rather than just talking about access to reproductive health care and gender affirming care, we need to be having a conversation about equitable access to care. So reproductive equity as opposed to reproductive access. Um, in brief, what this what this bill does is it prevents anti-choice states from being able to you know swoop into Washington state courts or our judicial process to enforce their forced birth laws. Bam, end of story. Um, 14 states now virtually prohibit women, uh, people who can get pregnant, excuse me, from accessing any kind of abortion care. They are, people are increasingly having to come to states like Washington that, that, that protect choice and gender affirming care. And this shields both providers and the patients in doing that. It, it's really hard to believe that this is our new political reality, but uh, I am very grateful to live in a state like Washington uh, where these bills are uh, proposed and advanced. Um, so as I was saying to, uh, to Sam, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, do you have some uh, calls to action for this week? I do. I have three sets of call to action. So the first is on Keep Our Care Act that we talked about at the very top of this program. Um, and Remember, Keep Our Care Act is to prevent additional consolidation in the healthcare industry. So we have right now SB 5241, the Keep Our Care Act. Uh, it needs to pass out a committee. So we have an action for you on that. Uh, the second is I have a pair of actions, one for the House, one for the Senate, on the Death with Dignity Act, which we also talked about. Um, these are both both of the actions are to get it a floor vote. So both bills, Senate and House, are moving, um, but they both need a floor vote. So either pulling to the floor or getting a floor vote, and I've got an action for you on each of those. Lastly, the shield law, which is what we just talked about in terms of protecting providers and um, and people seeking care, we have um, a pair of actions for the House and the Senate, again, seeking to pull to the floor uh, and or a floor vote. So for the House, it's on the floor uh, for a second reading and it needs a vote. In the Senate, it's in rules uh, for its second reading and it needs pulling out of rules to the floor. We have an action for both of those. And as usual, I, I will have all those actions in the show notes for everybody. Kat, thank you, my friend. Thank you. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast.
The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal, and as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.